Hello, this sermon audio is a ministry of the Town Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. If you would like to learn more about us, how to connect, or how to support us, go to our website, thetownchurch.org. While listening to the Bible preached is a healthy part of our spiritual formation, it is not the whole picture. So if you aren't a part of a local church, we encourage you to prayerfully commit to a local body of believers where you live. We're glad you can join us, and we hope God uses the following sermon to reveal more of His glory to you. It's good to see you all this morning. Good morning. Good morning. We're going through the book of Hebrews, and so um, I'd like for you to turn to Hebrews chapter 2 this morning. Hebrews 2 is what we're looking at. If you don't know where the book of Hebrews is, it's near the back of your Bibles. You've got the, the letters that Paul writes to the churches and then to the individuals. So you've got Timothy, Titus, Philemon, and then Hebrews. So make your way to Hebrews chapter 2. And then as you find it, this isn't a race, but as you find it, I'm going to invite you to stand with me as we read from the Word of God this morning. We have Bibles there in the pews for you if you need one. Um, If not, I've got it here on the screen. The reason I ask you to look at your Bibles is because I want you to see that it's coming from God's Word. This isn't us. We haven't made this up. It's here in the the Word of God that has um, extreme significance and power for us. So let me read this aloud. You can listen. You can follow along as I read. Here's what it says. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. This is God's word. Amen. You may have a seat. This past week, um, someone uh, sent an article to me about research that has been recently conducted by a um, a very well known Christian ministry. Um, some of you may may know of this ministry if I, I were to mention it. Um, and, and this study, this research that had gone on, um, was a study that that uh, about people who claim to be Christians. So these are people who would say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus. I claim to be a Christian, right? And and we know that that spectrum is wide, right? But this is a a group of people who have been polled and asked some questions in a survey to to give this research. The the research was about their theological convictions. The research was about um, what they believed about God, what they believed about their, their... their view of Jesus, about salvation, about, about humanity and, and, and uh, their position. And, and in that study, um, again, to, to, to Christians, this is, this is a study uh, among others who call themselves Christians. The results found that 53% of people who claim to be Christians believe that humans are good by nature. So these are people who claim to be Christians would say, yes, by very nature of who I am, I'm a good person. Now, clearly those people don't remember childhood, right? 
or have children or know me, right? So, so th- that, that's one study. Now, now, even more shocking, I think, and disturbing than that, in this same study, the results of the research found that 51% of all of the people surveyed who claim to be Christians would say that God accepts the worship of all religions. So here's what that means, that, that the worship of Buddha and the worship of Allah and the worship of whatever God that you would make up, God somehow translates that into worship of him. And so he just accepts whatever you want to believe as, as a right thing in worship to him. 51% of people who claim to be followers of Jesus say you can worship any God, God will just translate that somehow. That ought to be disturbing to us as a church, big church, as a church. That over half of the Christian church, men and women, boys and girls, believe that, 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 that they can believe whatever they want, worship whatever they want, and, and God will just accept that. That claim to be Christians have drifted from what is absolutely true about humanity, drifted from what is absolutely true about who God is, drifted from the truth of Scripture, that there is one God, one God who's worthy to be worshipped. And, and in the midst of our shifting cultural tide, there seems to be a lack of interest, almost altogether a lack of interest in foundational, biblical, God-honoring understanding of who Jesus is, of who God is, and and all of that being upheld. There seems to be this lack of interest in that. And my question, I think, to us as we begin to look at this passage that's a warning is, have we drifted? Have we drifted? Have you drifted? And and I think the answer all of us will probably lean toward is, well, no, 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 no. Which is exactly what you would say if you were drifting. True? True? Because, because drifting is often unintentional. It's, it, it's with, it, it, it's subtle. It's quiet. It, it's unnoticed. And without a firmly rooted anchor in an unshifting foundation, drifting will occur. It will. This past summer, my family and I um, we spent nearly a month in California. Um, many of you know that we um, ha- were given the great gift uh, by the church of a three-month sabbatical, and so we took some time in-, in June to get away as a family, and we spent a month of that in California, and we spent um, several days of that on the, on the beach. So we just spent camping on, on the beach in California. And, uh, our boys had never really been to a proper beach, right, where they could play in the water and catch the waves coming in and, and get sand in every um, place imaginable to bring back into our camper. They have never done that, and so we wanted to give them the opportunity to annoy us in that way. And so we went to, um, the very first day we got to California, we rushed to, uh, one of the first days, we rushed to Pacific Beach, all right, in San Diego. And so we go there, and it was packed. It was a Sunday afternoon. It was packed hundreds of people. In fact, it wasn't all that fun because there were so many people, but there were hundreds of people there. 
and, and our three older boys run out into the water and they're having a good time. And, and what do I notice out of the corner of my eye? I come running by, but this Dave, David Hasselhoff looking guy, right? The lifeguard in his red shorts and that little red buoy thing. I'm not sure what that's going to do, but they have to run with that, right? So he's running and he runs out and he begins yelling to everyone who's in the, in the, in the water, move down, move down, right? Move toward the pier. There's a pier up here. And so he's saying, move that way. And I got excited. Even though my boys were in the water, I got excited because I was thinking, there's a shark. This is awesome. Right? So, so here I am. I'm just excited. Like, I want to see someone go down, hands flailing. That's what I want to see. Even if it's one of my boys, that's a good story, right? So that's what I'm looking for. Anyway, he does that, moving everyone down, and he comes back up, and just like anyone who's interested in seeing a shark would say, I pulled him aside and said, hey, what's going on? And he said, well, the, the water in this area right here, there's a really strong undertow by the, by the way that the, the sand is here, and, it, and it's pulling people out into dangerous waters, and so we've got to move everyone down. And, and so that, that was fine. A little bit disappointed, I'm not going to lie. A little bit disappointed. Um, uh, and so I yelled at our boys, hey, listen, you know, we've, we've got to move down, uh, move toward the pier, move down. Now, about every 10 minutes, we were there for about two hours, every 10 minutes, Hasselhoff was running back out, right, to tell, move down, move down. Every 10 minutes, he was yelling at them to move down. Sometimes in, in the ocean, if you've been there, that the pull is gradual and you don't realize it. Sometimes that, that, that pull is more dramatic. But in almost every case, if you've been in the ocean, you don't realize you've drifted, right? You, you don't realize it. You, you don't realize you've drifted. It's unintentional. It's subtle. It's quiet. And so that day, I taught our boys two lessons. And here's what those lessons were. I taught them first, when you're waiting on the next wave to come crashing in and you're going to ride that thing in, when you're waiting on that, make sure your feet are firmly planted in the sand, Right? Wait on that wave, but make sure it's firmly planted. And then second, after you ride that wave in, right, and you're pulling your shorts back out, right, and you're trying to get the salt water out of your eyes, make sure that you know where the pier is. Fix your eyes on something that's stable. Make sure you know where that is. Make sure you know where our mound of like beach towels and sand toys are on the, the ocean. Reorient your, yourself and, and get your bearings and, and get there. Because drifting is never intentional. It's always subtle and it often goes unnoticed without feet planted and eyes fixed. And, and so we had to learn those lessons. And, and after walking through seven Old Testament passage passages from last week as we're working through the book of Hebrews to lay out a very clear argument of the fact that Jesus is in every way greater than the angels. After laying that out, the, the author of Hebrews pauses to, to give a warning. He pauses right in the middle of it to, to give a warning. It's an appropriate warning. He's saying what? saying, plant your feet on something stable, fix your eyes on the author and perfecter. Plant, plant your feet on something stable and fix your eyes on something firm. If you remember the context of the book of Hebrews, the original recipient of the, of the original hearers of, of this sermon it, it were probably Jewish Christians in a house church in Rome 
They had faced harsh, harsh persecution, or, or, or maybe in the midst of it. So it's coming again, or they're in the midst of it. They were discouraged people, discouraged. Discouraged maybe about their relationship with God and what that was going to look like and their faith in Jesus. Discouraged in life in general. It's possible that, that some of these people, the, the recipients of, of the book of Hebrews, were beginning to consider if following Jesus was what they wanted to be doing. That they were beginning to, to consider and, and toy with the idea of, of leaning back toward their Jewish heritage. That was easier. Persecution wasn't there. We want to lean in that direction. Discouragement, frustration, apathy, maybe some confusion. And, and, and maybe those words this morning would describe some of us. Discouragement. Frustration, apathy, confusion. Followers of Jesus, Christians for, for years and years, but currently it's just a season of discouragement. A season where, where you can relate now with the original recipient of the book of Hebrews. And over time, what has happened without you really noticing it in your discouragement, in your frustration, in your confusion, in your apathy, drifting. And so the author helps them understand the greatness of Jesus over and above the angels and then goes right into this warning passage. It steps into this strong warning. He pauses and begins to, to, to ask his friends to wake up and pay close attention to what is happening. And I wonder if some of us here this morning may need to hear that, may, may need to just pause for a second and hear the warning as well. For some, this could be a warning that, that you've drifted, you, you need to come back. For some, this may be a, an encouragement Hey, you're, you're on the edge and you're moving in that direction. It, it may be an encouragement in this way. Hey, you're firmly planted. Stay there. You're firmly planted. Stay there. So, so that could be the case as well. Keep your feet planted, your eyes fixed on Jesus. The warning is pay attention to that so that you don't drift. Pay attention. And there are five warning passages like this in the book of Hebrews that will hit over the weeks to come. The author makes this argument that Jesus is greater than that thing, whatever that thing is. For this, it was the angels. And then he pauses and says, hold, hold on a second, I need to give you a warning. He's greater than this thing, but let me warn you in this direction. A warning from a pastoral friend to the church in Rome that this is all about Jesus and and really even in this warning there's this argument that he's casting from from lesser to greater now this is a a, a pretty typical way to argue in this day a, a, a literary device that they would use to to make an argument from lesser to greater and these kinds of things are still happening maybe you don't know it's a literary device but we still do it right that this thing is true this lesser thing is true in this sense, and in a greater way, it's even more true in this sense, right? So for instance, a little taste of bacon as an appetizer before dinner is a, is a great thing. A bacon-wrapped steak for dinner is a greater thing, right? And so the, the lesser thing points forward to what is greater, and we would argue, yeah, 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 this is good. We're setting up the audience, and then we're saying, but look what's greater, 
And, and so the, the author is doing that, making this lesser to, to greater argument. So if you look at chapter 2, it begins with the word, therefore, and, and that word points us back to the argument of chapter 1, that, the, 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 that Jesus is greater than the angels, namely, specifically, this is how he's greater. He's greater in that the angels have never offered salvation. That the angels have never offered inheritance. Jesus has. And so that's the argument that this is on the heels of. No angel has ever offered provided salvation to those who would inherit it. Because that is true, or therefore, that the author says we've got to pay much closer attention to what we've heard. See how this argument goes? This is a beautiful argument. It's going to take some time to sort of get it in our heads, but I want us to see it. But we've got to listen to the message that has been given. The, the first verse is setting the warning, setting up the, the stage of, of the warning. There's this message that we've got to hear, that we've got to pay much closer attention. We, we've got to. And, and I wonder, again, if this is a warning that some of us may need to hear. I'm just going to keep saying that. I wonder if it's a warning we may need to hear. Or are you paying close attention? Have you drifted? Ha- have, have you drifted? Is that happening? Could it be so? And in this passage, after the warning, there's this lesser message that is true in its own way that we've got to hear, but there's a greater message we absolutely need to hear. So here's the, the simple outline. After the warning, setting the stage here, here's what it is. The, the lesser message points to salvation in Jesus. That's the lesser message. Now you may think, what? No, that's not lesser. Hold on. The lesser message points to salvation in Jesus. Points there. The greater message is salvation in Jesus. It is. It is Jesus. And so let me work through that. The lesser message points to salvation in Jesus. This is the first lesser than argument, verse 2. We have this lesser argument about a lesser message. Not an unimportant one, so don't hear that. Not an unimportant one, but a lesser one that's pointing forward to something greater. The author says, since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable. Now what message is he talking about? What's he talking about? Many believe that the the author is talking uh, about here is this message of the law of God. So he's pointing to, to back to the law of God. We spent weeks working through this in Exodus, what, 19 through 31, I think it is, where we just walked through the laws of God and how we saw that and, and what it was pointing to, dealing specifically with the laws of God. And you re- may remember that God is the one who, de- who dealt directly with Moses to, to give those laws to the people. So how's the author here of Hebrews making this connection from the angels giving that law? How is that the case? Well, here's how that works out. Traditionally, hang with this, hang with this argument. It's going to be beautiful. The traditional sort of understanding of, of how the angels were the ones who transmitted that, that the law is this. It goes all the way back to Deuteronomy 32. Where, or 33 2, where Moses is speaking a blessing to the people about the law that God has given. And he says, The Lord came from Sinai and dawned from Seir upon us. He shone forth from Mount Paran. He came from the ten thousands of holy ones with flaming fire at his right hand. Those ten thousands of holy ones ha- have often been interpreted, often been thought uh, to mean that God mediated the law uh, to Moses through an army of angels, uh, an army uh, of angels. And, and Paul picks up on this later in Galatians 3 when he's making a case for the law being a part of God's promise a promise to do what? To show us our sin, to point us to our sin. Paul makes this beautiful argument in Galatians 3.19 where he says, Why then the law? 
It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place, look at this, through angels by an intermediary. So, so the traditional thought, the, the, the sort of traditional thought that's been woven through uh, biblical I- examples is understood by, by Jewish Christians in, in this day that the giving of the law at Mount Sinai was, uh, was God delivering this message through a host of angels. Through a host of angels. So hang, hang with this. It's a brilliant argument, not mine, the author's. Now, the author of Hebrews is in a sense saying this. We've already established that Jesus is greater than the angels and the message of the law was brought about through the angels, right? We've already established that Jesus is greater than the angels and the message that has been brought has been brought about through the angels. The message of what? The law was brought about through angels and that message has proven to be reliable, it's a good and right message. It's reliable. It's the word of God passed on through generations. It's the very law of God reliable. Then verse 2 continues. With that law, uh, with that, that law was de- that, that was declared by angels, this happened. For every law, there was a just retribution. You remember that as we read through the law in Exodus that with every law, there was a, an associated punishment? So if you do this, this is what happens. If you do this, this is what happens. A corresponding re- retribution. The law that was given was given and it was taken seriously. So seriously that God said, if you do this, this will happen. If you don't do this, this will happen. There was a corresponding punishment. God took his law seriously. And if you know the Bible well, you'll know that that is not an unimportant thing. That this is serious. That God takes this serious. The, the, the laws are given for our good. They're given for our flourishing. They're given so that, that it would point to sin and, and our need for a Savior. Just like this Galatians passage that we have the law because of sin and our sin shows us our need for the law so it leaves us longing and, and it leaves us wanting. The law is the message that was given through the angels and it points to our need for salvation. So there's the argument, full circle. Do you see that? Somebody other than Zachary nod with me, right? Do you see that? So Jesus is greater than the angels. The angels are the one who, who have been believed to, to bring the law. The, the law was good and right, but it's pointing forward to something greater. It's pointing forward to something greater. It was not unimportant this law, but the author of Hebrews has already made very clear that Jesus is superior to the angels in every way. So that, so, so in that we have this message that was brought that was lesser, and in that it's pointing to something greater. Uh, uh, the lesser message is pointing to salvation, and, and saying that the message is lesser does not minimize. Hear this, please. Does not minimize the law of God. Doesn't minimize it. Saying that it's lesser and wanting and leaves us longing does not minimize the fact that God gave it as a gift. It's authoritative in in how it was given. The law was given from God through angels. It's a gift to reveal sin, uh, to communicate rightful punishment for sin when that was needed, to establish a system of uh, of sacrifices for sin. But, But it is lesser in that it's pointing forward to something greater. Does that make sense? Please. All right, all right. Salvation in Jesus. That's where the argument then continues in verse 3. The author of Hebrews says, how shall we escape if we neglect 
such a great salvation? How shall, we, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Or in other words, how are we supposed to escape the punishment we deserve if we neglect the greater message? We, we could be disobedient to the lesser message, the law that points to salvation, and receive the punishment that was due us. But if we neglect the message of salvation in Jesus, what then? If we neglect that, then what? Where do we go? The lesser message is pointing forward to Jesus. But if we neglect the very message that it's pointing forward to, this lesser message, then what? The lesser message points forward to salvation in Jesus. Jesus. The greater message is Jesus. The greater message is salvation in Jesus Christ alone. The, the law and the need for the law satisfied in Jesus. Everything points to Jesus. The law leaves us wanting and longing and waiting for something else, waiting for fulfill, fulfillment, fulfillment in Jesus Christ alone. And now it's here, right? And, and the people need to be reminded of that. So the author tells us three things three things of how this has been presented it's been declared it's been attested and it's been confirmed the second part of verse three it was declared by jesus himself jesus himself proclaimed this message of salvation in himself i'm here right it was attested by those who heard who heard firsthand from jesus so the author of hebrews is saying we weren't there but we, it was attested to us we we have heard from the people who were there that that message was attested and it was confirmed by god god himself bore witness of the fact that these things were true and he did that by signs and wonders and, and miracles and gifts of the holy spirit signs and wonders and miracles and the outpouring of the spirit all point to the message of the gospel of Jesus. They're all there to be pointing us to Jesus. All of it. Uh, signs and, and miracles are all over the New Testament, especially in the gospels uh, uh, where Jesus is, is doing these miracles. What's the purpose of those miracles? Yes, it brings healing. Yes, it brings sight. It, br it brings those things, right? Yes, yes, yes. But it's pointing to him. In the Gospel of John, they're called signs over and over. These miracles are called signs. Why? What does a sign do? It's not about the sign. It's pointing to something else, right? And so in the Gospel of John, they're called signs because they're pointing to Jesus. The, the, the gifts of the Spirit. Jesus left the Holy Spirit to be our helper. Helper in what? Pointing us to Jesus And so God left all of this, signs and wonders and miracles and, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, so that we would see Jesus. And so all of the attention is pointed to Jesus. Jesus has declared the gospel message in himself. Others have attested to that who were with him and heard it. God himself confirmed it, confirmed that these things were, were, were true. The greater message is salvation in Jesus. The lesser me message points forward to it. Do you see that argument? From lesser to greater. And right in the middle of that argument is the question then this. If punishment from God for the breaking of the law was an absolute, and the law was a message that pointed forward to something greater, what then if we neglect that greater message? How much worse then if we neglect that greater message? message that's, that's the question that's being asked 
Let me pull aside here for just a second and deal with something that's going on in the minds of many of you who have read ahead and who have looked at this and who are now considering, um, what do we do with this? Uh, how, how do we view this passage that seems to be saying something that we know is not true throughout Scripture? How do, how do, we, how do we do that? And, and so I don't seed you with that. Let me just work through it this way. First, I think we've got to see that the word is neglect, not reject. Okay? The word is neglect, not reject. The author is not saying what happens if we reject the greater message of salvation because we know what happens if you reject Jesus. There is no eternal life, right? The author is not saying what happens if we reject. He's saying what happens if we neglect. Another way to say that, it would be to ignore. Now, this gets really tricky because it leaves it somewhat ambiguous. It it, it leaves it in this place where where we would say, well, in in the Old Testament, if they disobeyed God's law, there would be punishment. Why? What about those who neglect or ignore the greater message of salvation? Right? They, They haven't outright rejected, but they are neglecting it. So what is meant there? What comes? And I'll tell you where I land in just a second. But, but first, let me speak um, some encouragement to our hearts. Can we just take a deep breath here and just rest in this? Th- things that, that are true. And I think we could spend hours and hours, literally hours, going to passages in the Bible that point to the realities and the truths that God secures his children in salvation purchased by the blood of his own son. We could spend hours working through that. We could go to Ephesians 2, by grace through faith, nothing that you have done. We, we could go to John ten twenty eight that Jesus gives eternal life and no one will snatch them out of my hand. We could go to Romans ten nine. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and confess, uh, confess, uh, believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, what you will be saved, past, present, future. And so on and on we could go. If you're a follower of Jesus, purchased by His blood, given given faith to believe, sealed with the Holy Spirit, then you are his you're his i've heard it said before in in, in this question how do we can we lose our salvation how how does that work out and i've heard a response to that can you lose your salvation no you can't because it's not your salvation it's a gift freely freely handed over you have been saved but salvation is in christ alone so for those of you who may be reading passages like this and think oh how how do we deal with this and we'll get to some of these later in the weeks to come and and you begin to get a little bit jumpy and you maybe get a little bit concerned about where we land on this where i need to land on this where you need to land on this On, on the one hand here's what i would do i would i would recommend that you plead with god for more faith where you need it plead with him God, I'm getting a little jumpy here. I need some help to believe the things that we know are true. That's where I would ask that you would begin. And then on the other hand, I would say this. I I hesitate to say this. It's a little bit um, tricky. But if you're concerned about whether or not you are a true follower of Jesus, 
and you're beginning to ask questions, am I? I would say to you this, rejoice because, rejoice because those who are not concerned, those who do not care about their position in Christ wouldn't be asking those kinds of questions aside from the Spirit indwelling them. Okay? If you're a true follower of Jesus and you have been adopted into God's family, your position is secure. That should cause a deep breath of sigh of relief that your faith will endure. There will be perseverance. That will happen not because you've mustered up some great faith in and of yourself, but because God in His grace has given you that. He's given you that faith to endure. So, that's the, 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 the uh, medicine to the, the wound there. But what is meant then in this passage? How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? And, and I'll say it this way, that, that what is probably meant here is some kind of retribution. There's some kind of consequence for neglecting or ignoring the greatness of the message of salvation. The problem is, and here's the problem that you already know, but I'm going to reveal it. The problem is the author doesn't really make clear what that is. So anything we could do would be speculation. Could, could it be discipline from God? Maybe. And we'll talk about that later in Hebrews. Could it be some, some withholding of reward in, in, in the eternal? I, I don't, what, what is that? The author doesn't really make clear. But we can be sure of this, that the author, listen to this, the author includes himself. Do you see that? He says we. What, what will we do? So he includes himself into the, this group. He says, yeah, what, what are we to do? Whatever the point is, the, the greater message of salvation in Jesus alone is not to be neglected or ignored or minimized or downplayed by those who have received the gospel, the author included, believed, and have, yes, now been saved. Then that goes full circle back to the beginning with this warning from the author in verse 1. Therefore, we've got to pay much greater attention. We've got to pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest what we drift away. And what is it that they have heard? What is it that we have heard? Here's what it is, the gospel. The the message of salvation. And so the warning is, pay much closer attention to that. It, it, It is a greater message centered on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Friends, the the warning is, that we read in Hebrews 2 is, I think, for us also. It's a charge and a challenge for us. And here's what it is. Let me just rattle off some questions. Has, has the beauty of the gospel of Jesus, has the message of salvation lost its appeal? Have we gotten used to the idea that salvation has been granted freely? Just gotten used to it. Freely given. Yeah, yeah, nothing I've done. Yep, I get it. We've just gotten used to that. Has has the good news in some way just become news, old news? 
I want to I want to pause and, and allow us to consider that. So the message of the gospel just becomes something we sort of understand now. As the fact that Jesus Christ, God's only Son, creator and sustainer of all things, the radiance of the glory of God, the exact representation of who God is in all of us being, the, the one who set, set down after making purification for sins, has the message of that Jesus become something you don't really even consider much? And I, I'd like for you to pause and consider that. And be honest with yourself as you think through those things. Maybe for you, you're, you're struggling through other things and you're just simply glad you have faith and some involvement in the church. It's something to, to, to fall on to. Yes, you lean on God in prayer when things are hard and you look to Him and rejoice when things get better. And, and that's about all it is. Yes, 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 God, yep, I, I got it. Jesus, yep, I understand that. But, would you say that you're paying close attention to the message of salvation? Have you, have you recently considered that God offered salvation as a free gift, and even while you were still sinning against Him, Christ died for you? I think this is what the author is getting at. When we don't deeply consider the greatness of the message of salvation found only in Jesus, we're in danger of drifting away. When we don't deeply consider the message of salvation found only in Jesus, we're in danger of drifting away. And drifting is never intentional. It's always subtle, and it often goes unnoticed. And so we desperately need our feet planted and our eyes fixed. We need that. And sometimes we need the warning, don't we? Wake up. You, you've, you've drifted away. You, you have drifted. Plant your feet, fix your eyes, and come back. Just like my, my boys in, in the ocean. Boys, come on back. You, you've drifted. Right? Keep your eyes fixed on the pier. Keep your feet firmly planted. See where we are. Look, come, come back. You have drifted. And to us here, we would say, spiritually speaking, come back. You've got to keep your feet planted on the truth of the gospel and your eyes fixed on the person of Jesus. Come back. You've drifted. What are some of those wake-up calls? Maybe that's what you're asking. Okay, great, but what, what is that? What, what do I do then? How, how do I move in that direction? What, what if I need that kind of wake-up call? So what do I do? And, and I hesitate to do this at the risk of sounding like I'm handing out a bunch of rules for us to follow to fix something that we would then gain God's approval. But right? if I do these things, then I'll gain God's approval and, and, and the drifting won't really mean a whole lot because I've got his approval, I've done these things. So I hesitate to do that. But I think it, it may be helpful, helpful for us as we consider what are some of these anchors that I can hook into. The three really simple things and we'll, we'll close this down. First, I think we've got to be pleading with God in prayer. So first, prayer. We've got to be pleading with God to give us eyes to see the greatness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
know that sounds simple. I know you think that may sound churchy, but stop for just a second. We've got to be pleading with God that he would give us eyes to see the greatness of, of Jesus. Maybe we join in with the author of Psalm 51, verse 12, that says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. We plead with God that. We pray and we ask, God, give me a, a great and lasting joy in the greatness of salvation found only in Jesus. First, prayer. Secondly, I, I think scripture. If we're, if we're drifting, if we're drifting or we sense a drift coming from the greatness of the message of salvation, we fix our eyes on Jesus in scripture. We read and meditate and memorize passages like Ephesians 1 and 2. The, the, the Ephesians 1 talks about the blessings that we already have in Christ. Ephesians 2 say, yeah, it's nothing you've done. It's by grace through faith that you have been saved. And so we fix our eyes on Jesus in those things. If our eyes are fixed on Jesus in Scripture, I think there is no way that we would drift into being a statistic in a study someday. saying, yeah, I'm, I'm basically good and God accepts my worship of any kind if I just, pr- just throw it up there. The, the Bible is clear that salvation is a gift from God by grace through faith in Christ alone. And so the question, are you drifting? Have you drifted? Are you in a process of, of drifting? And if so, are you planting your feet firmly in the Word of God, seeing more of Jesus daily, regularly? I would almost guarantee, I'm not a betting man, but I would almost guarantee that if you are not regularly seeking to see more of Jesus in the Word, you will drift. You will. Prayer, Scripture, third, I think is is community. You, You and I both need people in our lives desperately need people in our lives who will love us enough to say, hey, you're drifting. You're drifting away. You've got to come back. Look at how far you've drifted. I, by the grace of God, haven't moved and you're drifting. You need to come back. And one day you're going to be in this position where you're calling me back. We need one another. You used to be here, but now you're over there. You've got to make your way back. You've got to keep your feet planted on solid ground and your eyes fixed on Jesus. Come back. I would almost guarantee, again, I'm not a betting man, but I would almost guarantee that right now, if you're drifting or have drifted, that that drifting may be directly related to the community that you've invited into your life or have not. I I would almost guarantee that that's the case. Your drifting is directly related to the people you've invited to come in or the people you have not yet invited to come in. Many of us think we have Christian community around us because we show up here on a Sunday. And at the critique that I would get from that is what? It's just about here on Sunday. No, it's not. Uh, Many of you think you're in great Christian community because at some point in your lives during the month, you've said hi to a Christian, right? So, so, So wherever you fit in that spectrum, there's no law there. I'm just saying, where is it? It's not some loose connection that will keep you from drifting. It's not a loose connection that will keep you. It's people who have been invited into your life to see where your feet are planted and your eyes are fixed. You've invited in. I would say this, without regularly pleading with God in prayer, 
that your eyes are, are fixed on Jesus, without your feet firmly planted on the truth of God's word, without a community around you to remind you of both, you'll drift. You will. And so we need the warning that, that we would not neglect a great salvation that's been offered. And let me, let me end this here. If you've drifted, if you've drifted and you, you're sensing that or you, you've known that and now it's, it's right in front of you, if you're in a, a season of drifting that's been going on for a while, you've known about it, you now see it, maybe this morning you didn't even realize that drifting had occurred and now it's in your face, or you're in relationship with someone else who may be in a season of drifting, and you see it. There's grace. The, the grace of God is extended and, and, and woos us back. And, and part of the grace that is shown to us is God giving us passages like this to warn us. That's a grace from God. Wake up is a grace from God. And so that's been offered. There's grace because of Jesus. God welcomes us back. And just like Robbie talked about earlier, son or daughter, you've drifted. But come on back. Come on back. We're going to sing a song here in a bit. We've sung it. You know it, a lot of you, if you've been with us. And, and hear the words. And then I'd like to pray. Just listen to, to these words that we'll sing later. In tenderness, he sought me. Weary and sick with sin. And on his shoulders brought me back to his fold again. He died for me while I was sinning. Needy and poor and blind. He whispered, this is God whispering to assure me, I've found you, you're mine. And I've never heard a sweeter voice. It made my aching heart rejoice. Is that where we are? We've wandered, we've drifted. God's bringing us back and saying, come on back. That's a sweet voice. Let me pray this morning. We um, come to you this morning knowing that you are um, a, a good God, a good Father, who you've uh, called us into relationship. You've wooed us in, not because of anything we've done, but because of the greatness of Jesus, our Savior, you've called us. And so my prayer this morning is for us who have drifted or in a season of drifting, who since drifting, coming, who have um, experienced drifting in the past, that you would lovingly, warmly, tenderly call us back to the fold again. And that we would listen. God, I, I pray for those who may have no idea how to get out of this season of drifting. Aimlessly wandering. Not really seeing it, but knowing that there's something there. I pray for those who may be in that season that you would, by your grace, gently, affectionately, in a comforting way, draw them back that we would lean into you and in, in pleading with you in, in prayer, that we'd see the greatness of Jesus, that we would um, be searching out those things in Scripture and that we would be rallying around with one another to say, hey, plant your feet. Keep your eyes fixed. Don't drift. God, we need that. And so I pray that you would help us. All these things we ask in the name of your Son. Amen.